This is Tell Me Something Good About Retail with Bob Fibbs, the Retail Doctor, sponsored by CoreLogic. Just know that 2022 is the year to shine. You know, it is. It's take care of yourself, rest up, buttercup, but retail has an opportunity to be the engine to rewire human connectivity. Welcome to Tell Me Something Good About Retail with your host, Bob Fibbs, the champion for a more human connection in retail for over 30 years as a retail doctor. Bob is the authority on brick and mortar retail across the world, who works with some of the biggest luxury brands to independent retailers of all sizes. Today, I get the opportunity to talk with co-founder, CEO, and chief whiteboard artist at Distill, Neely Taminga. Welcome, Neely. Well, thank you, Bob. I'm so glad to be here with you today. I'm glad to be here. Now, listen, we shared a stage many years ago at a shopper track event in Chicago, and I have found your strong insight so helpful. So tell me, what is Distill and what does it have to do with retail? Oh, such a great question. Distill, we're a very specialized research advisory business for C-suites and boards. We help explain the consumer behavior, but all through an economic lens. In some ways, I guess we extract clarity from complexity because there's a lot of messages. There are a lot of messages that are out there, but we do it with an economic angle before the consumer economy. You mean you don't have the traditional retail is dead? There's an apocalypse. <laughs> no one will ever shop in a mall again. No, Lens? no. This was definitely a year of vindication for those of us who felt kind of quieted for that rebuttal as it were, right? I love that. <laughs> well, you know, we're recording this in December while we're also kind of looking forward to January. So what do you think retailers should be paying attention to in economic reports? And if you want to do a little bit of a primer for me, that would be great because invariably when the bombshells hit, the world is ending in retail. All I do is I just go right over to your posts and LinkedIn like, okay, so tell me, is that right? And it's almost always like, yeah, don't pay attention to this, pay attention to that. There's a lot of noise that exists out there, and I think it's navigating that noise and trying to find the nuance for 2022 when we look ahead and around the corner. It candidly was kind of easy to do our job in 2020 and 2021. Like, you know, everybody stopped consuming. Um, and what was that going to look like to retail sales? And then everybody was allowed to consume again. I mean, it was a very binary sort of approach. Oh, and by the way, we gave, you know, trillions of dollars of stimulus to people to spend. So, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to sit here and tell you that was a difficult job the last two years, but it was actually pretty easy. Well, wait, wait, wait. I, I have to interrupt you for a second because that's not what a lot of people looked at, right? Even if we were pumping money into households, it was a lot of times negated like, oh, well, this isn't going to do much. I mean, I do go back to those words when, and you said it at the outset, clarity. So what can you tell us about, for example, the last quarter, the last three or four months of 2021 have not been everything is all great, but it's also got so many data points. You know, I think the the nuance over the last few months has been in the details of understanding the economic realities facing different consumers. So if you're making $200,000 a year, you know, for example, gasoline might only represent, you know, one, 2% of your overall consumer expenditure budget, right? So if gasoline goes up, 
you know, 30, 40, 50%, it's not that big of a deal. If you make $50,000 a year, it's a significantly larger portion of your consumer expenditure budget. And you're really going to feel it when that, that gas price goes higher. So I think the, the, as we think through what's going on with the economic realities facing consumers, the inflation call is an important call and one to, to monitor because it's affecting different households differently. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that we do with and for our clients. Well, you do such a great job. And I think when I first heard you say it, it was like, you know, gas has risen and maybe it's the average household is $60. But you said, but that's maybe ten, six trips to Chipotle or it's 10 trips to Starbucks. And I love that clarity. It was like, oh, I mean, to your point, if I'm making 200 grand, it, it's, it can be poo-pooed. But I think on the other side, we're hearing this inflation is coming and you're all going to die. But at the same time, wages are going up. I mean, who's talking about we need to raise the minimum wage? It's effectively raised now, isn't it? It is. And, you know, I, I don't have the very specific statistic that I'd want to quote with certainty, but the vast majority of jobs, even though the federal minimum wage is at a certain level, the vast majority of jobs are above that federal minimum wage. You know, so changing the policy would not necessarily affect the market rate of the outcome. Um, but yes, wages have been higher. Unfortunately, at a very high level, consumer price index has actually been higher. So inflation has been higher than what wage expansion actually has been. So if you look at real wages, it's been, um, it hasn't been that lovely. It actually feels, you know, like you're working a little bit harder and, and getting a little bit less. And, and sometimes when I see, I don't know how you feel. And if you've been traveling, I've traveled a little bit, you know, this fall, but you know, the, the ire that's kind of there with people, right. And kind of that anxiety, I'm sure we're going to be talking about some of that, but I look at that in consumer behavior, whether it's the airline stories that we're seeing, what have you, you kind of wonder like, where is this coming from? But you know, I, I don't know, maybe I'd feel a little ticked off too, if I was working a lot harder under in a global pandemic and not really feeling the full benefits of that economically. I'm not justifying it though, Bob, I'm not justifying it. <laughs> All right, so I literally just got back from Dubai yesterday. And I will tell you, it's incredibly stressful to fly internationally right now. And I had done everything. I flew United. They say, come early, schedule a point for your COVID test, and then, you know, you'll board the flight. So I do all of that. I, I can't check in, though, through the mobile app. I go up to the counter, which has a lot of people, and uh, this woman is telling me, well, try this, try that. Then I scanned something and it was in Arabic. I'm like, no, I'm going from America there. I'm, I'm a U.S., right? And then she just turns to me and out of nowhere goes, well, you've got the wrong COVID test. Oh, my word. It's like my number and one anxiety know, moment right there, right there. I raise my voice. I go, what? She goes, do not yell at me, sir, or I will end this. And that made it even worse. Oh, my word. She's like, you have to go find, get another one. I said, that's it. You get in a supervisor down here right now and you get someone to help me. And, and I heard it in my voice. This is the reason I'm sharing this. Because maybe under, the, under circumstances, it wouldn't have been such a deal. But that ire was very real. And it shocked me that she went to the place she did. But it also kind of shocked me because suddenly it was like, you're helpless again. 
Is that it? Yes. I, I think there's this element where everyone just feels a little bit powerless, right? And, and maybe not even helpless, but powerless. And all for different reasons. I think it's affecting different people differently and what have you. And, you know, that's actually one of the things that I love about retail. I know it's going to sound like a cheesy flex, Bob, but I do believe this. I believe when we get eye to eye with people and we are helped by the person, you know, across, you know, six feet from us, there's an opportunity to rewire our brains in a way that kind of repaths towards human connectivity and love and engagement. And that's one of the things that I love so much about your messaging and what you do out there, um, because you're really about that human connection side in retail. And, you know, dare I, dare we declare that retail can actually help rebuild trust in human connection moments again? Because it's not happening in politics, it's not happening in education, it's not happening with our public health system right now, right? Like, is it retail? And I think that's what actually makes me really optimistic about the industry. I would agree. You know, the second story was my passport, and I drove to New Hampshire to get it. And I am there an hour early, and I give her all the stuff. And the woman goes, well, we'll have it for you around 3 o'clock today. And I went off again. I, I just said, What? I didn't yell. I just said, what? They said I could wait. Here's what bothered me about both of those interactions. Did anyone understand what it would feel like to be the customer in that moment? And I believe we can change the world by the people working and shopping and retail. I, I believe that a thousand percent. But on the other side, has the service workers adopted a such a defensive or something because it seems like ire doesn't come from nowhere, but also this idea that you'll get it when I, you know what I mean? There's something also at work and maybe it's from battle fatigue, like you say. It's probably battle fatigue. They may not also be empowered to do the right thing, right? I always kind of think through that lens too. They might actually feel powerless in their own response. Again, it doesn't justify your behavior, their behavior, anyone's behavior. Like that's not what we're here to talk about, but rather understanding where that that why is right behind that kind of human moment and what can we do differently i you know i i do think that there is this powerlessness dynamic mixed with a high dose of anxiety of not knowing what's around the corner sometimes and and people have definitely been working harder you know this right like the hours have been longer you know what 24 million people had the opportunity or were asked to kind of furlough right while we shut down the economy in summer 2020. And I remember talking with people who continued to work, right? And in some ways, economically, they were watching some of their peers actually bring home checks that were greater than what they were making. And the other person was like, and I'm still also bearing the burden of your job while you're gone. You know, I mean, so there's some real... There's some real wiring that got unwired. What do we call that? Broken wired? So is it a have and have nots world? Is it a, because it seems like if so many writers, young writers, not picking on a generation, but young writers who talk about remote work and it's this and all that. Well, great. If you don't have to go into an office, you're probably touting all the benefits of it and don't want to go back to that because it's not as free. But Retail is a service industry where they didn't even have that as an option, right? So when we hear about the great resignation, and I do want to keep this back to what you do best as well, 
there's so much being made of all these people that are resigning, et cetera. Is this going to affect us economically? I know that retailers are, are concerned and they say it's all wages. I don't think it is all wages. I think a lot of people are going out and becoming entrepreneurs and don't realize this is twice as much work as you going to a store. You'll find this out. But for right now, it sounds great. You know, it's such a good question. I don't think any of us really know quite yet what this moment is, right? And what the how the long-term ramifications of it might be. Or positive, by the way. You know, positive ramifications, too. Our current hypothesis is that this is actually not the great resignation, but rather the great reprioritization. I think the one thing that you and I and everybody else have in common is that we have 8,760 hours in a year, right? It's fixed. And when we've done some maybe rethinking around how we're spending our time or how we're asked to spend our time and what that looks like, I think people are having some aha moments about what they actually prioritize. You know, you and I have been doing our own thing for a little while, so we understand what it is to have the joy of flexibility. We also understand the the anxiety of running your own business, right, as well. Like, we understand the both sides of this. And I don't know how you are, but I kind of chuckle a little bit on the inside when people are like, I find out that I work better first thing in the morning. And, you know, I wasn't doing that for the last 30 years of my life. <laughs> and I'm like... Yes, that is in fact what you get to do as an entrepreneur. Welcome. Welcome to our world. <laughs> do you have similar experiences with that, with the other people's ahas about this world? Yeah, like, and you're like, I've been doing this for 30 years. And, and then people are like, well, you know, I don't feel like doing something. Is that like you? And I'm like, I don't have that option. I'm in the office at five o'clock because I wake up do all my email, all this stuff, and I'm in my office until five. And so I could just as easily be driving to an office, but that freedom comes with an awful lot of responsibility because you have to look in the window and say, oh, what is Bob doing here? Because there's only an accountability to yourself. And I think that's one of the challenges we have in retail right now. I think people are afraid to hold people accountable. Would you agree with that? I mean, do you see that uh, when you go shopping, for example, it's more task-driven than engagement-driven? It is, for sure. I, I think probably like you, we see um, how the sausage is made. So I think there's a little bit more grace that we have for what's going on, you know, in the store level. We understand what's going on with the labor force. You know, I often wonder, though, you know, how others might view those interactions, right, when you go from task to engagement. Um, I'm not going to name the retailer just because I want to be classy, but, you know, I was recently shopping in a, a name you and I both know. And I mean, it, it, it appeared to me it, that it took like four people at one till to figure out a problem while, you know, the line was, you know, nine deep. And it was just one of those where you just say, you know, were they empowered to at least acknowledge the line? <laughs> right? Like, Hey, y'all, we'll be right with you. I mean, even that small act of, you know, eye to eye acknowledgement, I think can take temperatures down, right? When people are managing their time, right? Which is fixed. So. And, and feeling ready to do that job, you know, is when I heard you say that instantly, I thought, okay, so there's four people. I would think a supervisor would come over and go, you know what, why don't we take your stuff? I'll take you over here and we'll figure it out together. And everybody would have been like, Right, right, right. And, and rooting for them instantly, right? I mean, it, you know, I think that's the trust can be rebuilt 
literally in an instant. And I think sometimes people forget that or they don't they don't feel empowered that they can actually rebuild trust in an instant. And a lot of it just has to do with, you know, having a little bit of empathy, adding a little bit of the rigor, you know, a little bit more of, hey, we're dealing with an issue. We'll be right with you in you know two minutes. Right. Or fine. Trust rebuilt. Done. Communication. Absolutely. Now, when the Wall Street Journal named you the best on the street analyst in 2006 and 2011, yes, I'm crowing about your achievements. What was it that made you stand out? Right. There must be something you know, Bob, I, I thank you. Those are very kind words. And that was like forever ago, I think in some ways too, right? I think I have been given a gift of being able to take a lot of disparate data in my brain and kind of quickly synthesize how that's going to play out. I don't know why I'm wired this way. I mean, you know, sometimes the, the older I get, the more I just like, wow, okay, that's like my, that's my party trick. Okay. I'm able to do that. That that's my, you know, cocktail hour conversation. And so use it wisely. Interestingly, I, I don't know how you feel with your giftings as well as you, you know, age into wisdom, right. And how you might think through that. But I now understand why I've been impatient with people in the past. <laughs> right. Because I'm like, Oh, that's why I was a jerk. Okay, like I needed to like ask more questions to get people on board so I could get to that conclusion, like instead of being annoyed that they weren't there, right? So with Because they're the- not like you and realizing <laughs> I'm different in a good way right. and it's not their fault that they're not like me in their way. Right, exactly. Um, and so I, I would hope from 20 to 30 to 40, it was in my 30s when I won those awards, you know, from 30s to 40s, I think what I've gained a little bit is the awareness of how to love people through, uh, you know, your own gifting and, and bring them along the path and really optimize the outcome by bringing them along and co-creating the thesis, right? Whatever that is. And so, you know, if anyone's listening to this and they're look, listening for like an aha and a personal development level, like realize your greatest strengths and sometimes be your greatest weapon and maybe recast that in thinking through that not everybody's gifted the same way. It's funny you say that because I know when I do keynotes, I always make sure I put a picture of me in cowboy hat when I sold cowboy clothes back in the 80s and get them to laugh because it's like I can come off like, I am the great God of retail down to bless you with my stuff. And it's like, I don't ever want that, but I'm a strong force. And I realize it it can be really intimidating. And then people turn off and you're like, that's not helping any of us. So I, I totally get that. I totally get that. I really appreciate the silliness and the levity that you incorporate in your um, your own pattern of success. I see it all, all the time because you know what? It goes back to that human connection, Bob. It's, it's lowering the temperature, right? So that people can get to a place of human connection and learning. And that's what you're all about. Um, that's that's what's fun to be on the stage with you about. Oh, well, thank you. Well, I think that's what 2022 is going to be about is trying to get rid of labels and trying to be in a place to just say, I just want to be here and be curious about the other person. And if I get that right, I can follow through with my training and other things. But if I'm not curious, if you're a thing for me to get around, like I kind of felt for this, you have the wrong COVID test, like out of my way, I have a plane to catch, you are worthless to me. That's what the feeling was. And to try to take back and say, okay, what did it feel like to be her? 
and and then go, okay, so she sees this. This is my moment, what, out of tens of thousands of hours. This is hers, like, probably every hour of every day. Although I could train her to say, don't ever say that to someone. <laughs> That's enough. You had asked about the, you know, the younger generation. And, you know, one of the great blessings for me that came out of COVID is I actually picked up teaching at the college level. I'm a professor, a visiting professor at a local university. And I love it. Okay. Do I have time for it? Very little. But do I do it? Absolutely. And I love it. I love these kids, uh, students. Okay. They're adults. But they are amazing. And I teach leadership and ethics. And we, I've, I've got them to firewall their brain now, which is a ton of fun because we actually practice. We don't study leadership. We do leadership. That's, that's how we do it. But I, I, I'd say to them, we need to have a firewall that immediately goes up when we're triggered so that we can stop and pause instead of moving forward. And the phrase that we use is, I'm going to hold wonder for the person across the, the table from me that the work that needs to be done in their life is not yet complete. So I have them trained to say that phrase over and over again. I'm going to hold wonder for the person across the table from me. They have not yet completed the work that is yet to be done. So if that helps, that might have helped. I, I think it helps everybody. I, I say it, um, I don't know who I am in your life right now, but I'm not me. And then if you can hold that idea, it's, it's like, oh, you know, well, we're, we should be doing more speaking together. You are just fabulous. I just love you. So let's get back to retail. What do you think it will take to compete with the online juggernaut of press and distribution of Amazon? It seems like every story is about the wonder child that is Amazon and everyone fears it. You know, something like 55% of online sales goes to them and you know, I always say, take care of your four walls, but what do you think it does? Is there room to compete against them? And any of your thoughts? I'm teeing you up. I know, I know, I know. Um, But it's like, what is there new to say about it? I think other than it's just time, it's waiting to see how they progress in this current season. So you know, I'm not calling for the end of Amazon or something silly like that. That's that's a that's a fool's call. Um, however, I th- I do think that people need to remember that they've basically built their business in all time low interest rate environment, a, a near deflationary environment, uh, an environment that uh, rewarded their investors for having losses and not gains. You know, I mean, there's a whole series of conditions that you know, probably millions of conditions that came together over the course of 20, 25 years, right. Of just being right place, right time and pressing when they did and acquiring when they did what they did. And, you know, so I could go, I just keep enumerating all of these, you know, reasons why, but I think what I'm looking for is, okay, now how, how, how do you go on that product life cycle curve from introduction to growth and now to maturity? Right. What does Amazon look like on the maturity curve? Because trees don't grow to the sky and you absolutely will eventually go from growth to maturity. And when your whole culture is rooted in not operating in a mature cycle, right, with budgets and travel budgets and, 
you know, what have you. I don't know if that's the case, if they have travel budgets or not. But you see what I'm saying? Like, conditions the sky's are the limit. Right. At some point, I love that. Trees don't grow to the sky. They don't. they don't. And I've seen retailers, you know, fall on their own swords for that same view, right? You've seen that, too, when they go from introductory to growth to maturity. You know, they, they believe their own story that it will never happen to them, Right. And cough, cough, Sears, cough, cough, yeah. <laughs> cough, cough, laundry list of names. Yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Ooh, let's not make enemies today. Um, but yes. Okay, good. So we're going to continue in just a minute. But first, a word about our sponsor, Core Logic. Millennials and shoppers alike have many options when it comes to retail shopping. Competition is fierce, and CoreLogic wants to make sure your business is front and center of the transaction. Robust property data gives retailers of any size a competitive edge with a clear 360-degree customer view and a deeper level of insights into their targeted audience. Retail marketers can use CoreLogic's trusted property data to build a successful customer loyalty experience. By identifying new customers and uncovering accurate marketing insights, CoreLogic will help your business thrive. Learn more at corelogic.com slash find. Okay, we're back. And before we continue, we love CoreLogic and our loyal listeners. And if you do me a favor and give us a five-star rating today after this episode with Neely, I would appreciate it. So you already have told us about your age because you're a 40 under 40 award winner. Is that inspiring or daunting? It was an honor. Um, it's, it was an honor. And, it, you know, it's interesting. Out of that evening, I met, uh, it was a little hoopla evening, and there was a gentleman whose name is Rick Brimacombe. Happy to, to name drop him. He's local here in the Twin Cities. He's well known for helping out small businesses and other, you know, small to medium-sized businesses. And he's a venture capital guy, basically, right? Is the way to think through him. That evening, and I was under 40, he said, hey, I'm Rick. And I want to let you know that, you know, give me a call anytime if you need help with anything. It was that... It was that broad and it was that clear and abrupt. I didn't talk to him for like another 10 years. And then when we, when Kayla and I decided to launch Distill, he was one of my first calls. I said, I don't know if you're going to remember this, but one day, <laughs> 40 under 40, you offer, can you help me with anything? Would you be willing to sit down and just listen to what we're trying to do and would just love your perspective? We're in business with him to this day in, in ownership of a, of a family business. Um, and so, you know, just the power of networking, I think, is the message there. So did did it change my life, you know, the award? No. But did I find someone who is capable of influencing my life? Absolutely. And that's really how I take those opportunities. Is, who do you, like you, like meeting at our, you know, keynotes, we've kept in contact this entire time. Long time. Right? And it's, it's, um, that to me is the joy of the human connections. So true. You know, when I finished my speech in Dubai, this young man comes up to me, he goes, I'm so glad to finally meet you. And he goes on to tell me how he had bought my book 10 years ago, bought my sales training, and he'd been using it for his 200 employees every day. He goes, you are the reason why we're doing this. And then he made a quick little video for me. And you just don't know whose life you're going to touch if you just have the spirit of, getting the right message out, which is we're more alike than different and we have more to learn from each other than, you know, uh, worry about e each other. 
I want to switch heads a little bit for you. Rental, fad or long-term category in retail? Oh, like the the rental anything business? Rental anything. Let's take apparel because I think that's the one that makes the most news right now. Am I allowed to say I don't know? I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Well, I guess what I look at is over the years, so many of these ideas lose millions and millions of dollars are never profitable. And, you know, when I was growing up, you had to make a profit, which showed that people were interested in your product and you filled a need. And it seems like we're in upside down world where, what is it, Rivian, who's $11 billion worth uh, now versus GM has delivered one vehicle. I mean, is, is hope what is driving all of these things? Like you'll be like Amazon. If we just keep staying long enough, you'll make money. I think people are intrigued. Investors are intrigued about making sure they have capital put in areas that are the next generation of whatever category it is. You know, we could probably look at the the plant-based meats, you know, as a conversation or the, you know, plant-based alternatives in food, right, broadly as a, as a category. Cannabis, I think, too, you know, has definitely had some of that as well. I mean, even some large I believe there's even things in the news today, but, you know, even large distillery type businesses, you know, who are involved in other substances were like, hey, maybe we need to expand what it is to relax, right? Or what, whatever that, that term, um, not that I'm condoning any of it. I'm just saying, you know, that that's, you can, you can see it even in corporate development departments, as well as it is in the investors, you know, to kind of make some of these investments in um, broad reaching. I, Rental, you know, I think it's very intriguing to me for sure, right? Because, you know, how many times did girls grow up and they just swapped their own prom dresses, you know, with one another? Like you saw that in the consumer behavior before the business model ever existed. And I think that that's always kind of an intriguing thing when you see things in, you know, behavior before the business model and the business model helps kind of platform it. However, how long can they run it, you know, for the way that they run it in a way that meets consumer demand and what really is that market? I mean, at some point, people might just decide that they want to own things too. Remember, no one, no millennial was ever going to own a home in 2016, Mr. Fibs, right? And, um, that's right. Those damn millennials were ruining everything. All of our whole engine wasn't going to work. And then what did we find out? They've been the primary home buyer since 2016. I mean, I can pull up those articles. You Just as much as we joke about the retail is dead, I, I always chuckle with the millennials never want to own anything. And I'm like, I... I don't, I don't think you, you've met a millennial. Um, <laughs> they can't own anything because of student debt yet, but that doesn't mean they don't want to own something, right? So, Well, and that's the key for retail, isn't it? We're a want market, and people forget that. You know, it's, it's really the story of consumerism is want. Rarely is it need. Yes, it could be eggs, let's say, but there's so many variations in eggs. Right. I want organic free range brown or white or natural or multicolored or whatever they're going to be. Um, we forget that, that it's still most of retail. And I think the money for most of retail is in the wants versus the generic. Well, I was just thinking, was it Brands? Was that the company that uh, said they were going to be doing snacks that were unbranded and they were going to be they were going to blow up and be a big thing? And then a couple of years later, found out that it didn't work out that way. Oh, brandless. Brandless. Yeah, yeah, no, I always thought that that was um, 
I'm sorry for anybody who's listening to this and they might be associated with brainless, but you need to know I chuckled every single time because there was a private label brand at May Company way before they were acquired by Macy's and it was called Brandini. And so like every single time I heard brandless, I always thought of Brandini. I was like, who is at these, you know, these tables? And like, I've got the killer idea. Let's take brand and let's add a couple letters that job i could do that you and i could do that we could get paid big money we would just sit around giggling all day though variations of the word brand so and we'd whether... throw some weird one in there and say <laughs> 10 to 1 this is the one they go with and someone will say i love that brandiful Bra- yeah, that's great it's brandiful. that is a million dollar idea right there brandiful there you go it's official it's on this podcast no one else can have it boom so it's copyrighted neely and bob go. 20 yeah <laughs> Uh, well, as an entrepreneur, what is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? That is so broad. Okay. Um, well, one would be investment in in time to build relationships. I think, you know, being relational, we you simply success, you can kind of fake it in corporate environments, I think. But when you are an entrepreneur, like you really need to have a relational business in Relationships take time, time, thoughtfulness, intentionality, right? So, and time costs money, right? I mean, that's just kind of the reality of it all. Um, and I'm naturally an introvert, you know, so it-, it, it I would it, never know that. <laughs> people are always surprised. And I'm like, you should see me after I give a keynote. I'm like cocooning, you know, <laughs> in my hotel bed, just like shaking. Okay. Um, no, so relationships and, you know, the the- for me, for the business, Kayla, who's the co-founder of Distill, I mean, she is truly the best business partner I've ever had, um, had the privilege of working for. I mean, at this point, let's face it, I'm working for Kayla. And, uh, you know, that came through an internship relationship. She was my intern. She went from intern to co-founder. Um, and she's amazing. She's very uniquely gifted. We're good complement of gifts. And so when you asked me that, it would be hard for me to not acknowledge what relationships, you know, mean and the investment of time in relationships. And then I could also answer and say, well, you know, I really like the Blinkist app, you know, like (laughs) that's worth a hundred dollars a year. Canva at a hundred dollars pro, you know, like that's, that's a pretty good investment too. Um, You know, so. No, I'll take your one with the time. I think that's a, yeah, that's a better one. There you go. Well, listen, we are almost out of time and you've been generous with giving me yours, Neely. Um, you know, the podcast is called Tell Me Something Good About Retail. So what have you got for us to send us out the door? You know, if you're a retailer and you're feeling a little overworked right now and it's holiday season, right? And you're feeling a little heavy. Just know that 2022 is the year to shine. You know, it is. It's take care of yourself, rest up, buttercup, but retail has an opportunity to be the engine to rewire human connectivity and approaching it that way by empowering your people to make the right decision. They will not only feel the blessing of that empowerment, but they will spread the blessing of that empowerment. And I cannot think of a better setup for how retail can uniquely look like the place of engagement and service. Um, so, you know, 
blessings. Just do it. We got you. We're rooting for you all along. And it is going to get a little noisy economically in 2022, but above all, human connection matters. That is the perfect way to send us off, Neely Tominga. I am so glad you joined us today from Distill. Thanks so much. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate you. You've been listening to Tell Me Something Good About Retail with Bob Fibbs, the retail doctor. As a listener, you can receive free information and guides when you visit retaildoc.com and sign up for our exclusive weekly newsletter. Thanks for being with us. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. To virtually bring Bob to all of your crew and associates, check out www.salesrx.com. 